You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Welcome. I'll start this podcast recording with how I start every podcast. Hello, hello. It's Brooke DeVard, and you're experiencing the Naked Beauty podcast. So thank you all for being here. Everyone looks amazing. Um, When I started this podcast two and a half years ago, in September, it's going to be three years, it was a struggle. I ordered my equipment on Amazon. Many of my early guests remember, like, it was just... I'm looking at Ashling and uh, Lila back there. We recorded like in the basement. It was really janky. It was thrown together, but we made it happen. And now to be here and to have all of you here means so much to me. So really thank you for helping me to make this dream I had a reality. Thank you to Jose, my amazing producer, my family who's here. My parents are in the back. My brother listens to every episode and gives me notes. Um, All of my friends that have supported me, my amazing husband, I don't know if he's here. He was helping to set up everything before. Um, So, oh, hey, hey, husband. (laughs) So this really has been like a a, a huge group effort, and I'm just so grateful to the community and everyone I've been able to bring together. So thank you guys for being here. I'm at Naked Beauty Planet. That's the Instagram page for the event, and the hashtag is Naked Beauty Podcast. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Okay, my first guest, Gillian Sagansky. 
So I have known Gillian since we were 10 years old. And I've been so impressed with Gillian. She's worked at W Magazine. She's worked at Vogue. She's lived in Berlin as a DJ. I saw her DJ in Paris. I saw her open like a Louis Vuitton store on Fifth Avenue DJing. But the thing that has impressed me most about Gillian since I've known her is how in the past six months she has really committed to her mental health. Um, so we're going to have a really honest conversation about mental health. One of the things that I wanted to do for this event is talk about beauty in all of its forms. Beauty is not just what we put on our face, as you guys all know from the podcast. It is how we express ourselves. It is how we choose to take care of our mental health. And it's also how we take care of our bodies. So Gillian is our first guest. Let's give her a warm welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm going to open up this section by asking you guys two questions. And these are questions Gillian asked me, and it really got me thinking. The first question is, how many of you feel that you're able to talk about mental health with your friends by a show of hands? OK, a lot of hands just went up. How many of you have personally disclosed something about your own mental health with a friend, whether that you're suffering from depression, anxiety, that you're taking medication by a show of hands. OK, a few less hands went up. I see some like half raises. Gillian. So I want to follow up uh, Brooke's questions with, more often than not, do you guys say you're fine when asked how you are out of fear of disclosing how you're really feeling in burdening the person asking you how you are. Yeah. So <laughs> someone says, how are you? You just say fine. Fine, and the weather, or, you yeah. know, it's really raining today, but it's like, obviously, because you were both just outside, and, you know, <laughs> you kind of just. So um, yeah, that's kind of a way that we wanted to start um, from a place of honesty and uh, talking about some stigmas. So yes. go ahead. So mental health is a huge topic, but it's not something that we're able to talk about amongst ourselves as freely as we talk about like a new serum that we're trying or a new fitness class that we tried. And even you coming on, knowing that it's going to be recorded, knowing that everyone here is going to hear, I remember asking you, like, are you sure you're OK to talk about this? Because you've never talked about this stuff publicly no. ever, ever. Um, and the word you used was that you wanted to get out of your shame cave. I did. This is, this is the thing about mental health. I mean, my journey, and it's really even crazy looking at all you girls, men too, and um, saying this, but I have had OCD since I was 10 years old, and it has, it has pretty much destroyed my life. Um, and it took me 20 years of going through something that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy until I decided to take responsibility for my life because the way I was going, which was just constant escapism, was no longer an option. And um, I basically started my journey in January. I quit all of my jobs and made my job uh, mental health and had to commit to it the way that I would go to work every day. Mm. Um, and you know, it was so surprising to me as uh, I totally turned off all social media, which for me was the way to do it. Um, Instagram, instead of just, you know, all these, you know, 
I feel like we walk down the street and we're like, oh, is this a good story? Or, you know, you kind of are always somewhere else instead of with yourself. And I was like, I need to turn that all off and really just focus on me. And the way I even took a picture, it was so different because I'm like knowing it wouldn't be shared. Um, And I just had to make that my job. Um, And you went somewhere to do this work, right? I did. I I basically was diagnosed with OCD when I was 10. Um, And it was really confusing because it was so shameful for me. And as I told Brooke, I was just living in this deep, dark shame cave (laughs) for 20 years. And I was just like, I can't live my life like this anymore. It destroyed my relationship. It destroyed, um, it destroyed getting up in the morning. It destroyed everything. How does OCD manifest itself? I know that rituals is a big part of it, obsessive thoughts, but what is it, what is it actually like to to live with it? Um, So when I was younger, that's when it was probably most confusing for me because I had all of these urges and compulsions that were so much bigger than me and I couldn't stop it. It's like if I told you right now not to think of the pink elephant, I guarantee you every single person in this room has an image of a pink elephant. And that was my life. And it was just a bombardment of intrusive thoughts. And um, I'd have to, you know, arrange things a certain way or like touch things like an even amount of times or... It got really bad when I was going through the SATs. And on a test, I was put in something that we had in high school called the extra time room um, for people who needed more time. Um, And it was because I had to erase every question seven times to the point where there were holes in my paper. And I remember one time a teacher standing over me and saying, why do you keep erasing it? It's right, like move on. I'm not even allowed to say this to you, move on. And I was like, I can't, I can't. And it was, it was awful because it was like rationally, I knew I had the answer, but I could not not erase this thing. It was like a compulsion that was just bigger than I was. Yeah. Um, so dealing with a lot of like the, the mental rituals and um, I couldn't stop, you know, I had to sometimes like wash my hands a certain amount of times, otherwise my parents would die. This was in my head. Um, so I'd be there, so like, you, saving if, my family. If you didn't wash your hands a certain amount of times, you thought that your parents would die? Yeah, or if I didn't do it the right way. Um, Interesting. Or if I didn't, like, close the door a certain amount of times or turn off the stove a certain amount of times or whatever it was. I mean, it, the thing about OCD is that once you think that a habit's gone, it manifests itself in a completely new way that you could right. not have even imagined. And when did you... I know that Lena Dunham talking about it on Girls yeah. is a big turning point for you. Huge. Why do you think the stigma is so strong against having things that have to deal with mental health? I think it's because, you know, we don't really foster a community in which people feel safe talking about it. And, you know, for me, since I was 10, I was medicated with something. You know, I've gone through probably 30 medications over the course of 12 years. And when you're 10, you're just having like, you know, pills given to you and you don't really know what you're taking. Mm -hmm. And... You know, if I'd come in with like a new problem, they'd just say, oh, you know, you have to raise your serotonin and lower your serotonin levels. Oh, you, and you, I don't know what serotonin is. I'm 10, you know? <laughs> and it's like, it's just, it's, I just felt like I was broken. And I was told that, you know, by my parents and by my psychiatrists that the world was unfair and the playing field was uneven. And I would always, I would never be equal because my brain was broken. Hmm. And instead of just, you know, being like, my kid is unique and creative and like, you know, should probably be in a less academically rigorous school and a more creative one, I had to conform to this 
private all girls school, <laughs> yeah, you know, format that we were that we went to, and I never really had a choice in it. Um, and you know, in a point about what you said about Lena Dunham's episode, I don't know if you guys watch Girls. Yeah, have you guys seen this episode of Girls where she talks about it? Yeah, and it's like the OCD one where she to like do something seven times, and the Q-tip, and she like breaks a Q-tip, and then she like is googling all night about like broken Q-tip at near. I mean. She was the first person where I was like, oh my God, I see myself in you. Mm. And that was so powerful to feel that I was not alone. Yep. And that is the reason why I agreed. I mean, despite Brooke being one of my closest friends, I just, I, that's why I agreed to come on the show. Because if there's someone suffering, it's an awful saying, but it's true that misery loves company. <laughs> and when that episode played, I felt like I wasn't alone for mm. the first time in my life. I felt, I felt connected to this girl I'll probably never meet, but I was like, oh my God, like she's kind of making this, she's bringing this into the conversation and she's, make, she's normalizing this in our cultural zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. And that was so important to me. And I was like, well, then maybe I can seek help. Maybe, you know, other people are going through this, tool, this too and Lena's cool and she's her own show. And like, you right. know, there are people like that too. And I think that's what's so cool about having you talk about it because if you just look at your social presence, like you're out here doing it, you're DJing, you're living your best life, you're traveling all over the world, you're going to fashion shows, but it's really hard to communicate the deeper context of what's going on underneath totally. and to be honest about it. And so much of people being afraid to deal with mental health is that stigma. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about your decision to just shut everything down and say, I am going to go full-time. I know you went to Hoffman Institute, which was like a life-changing experience, but that decision to just shut everything down, your career, your relationship, put everything on pause and say, I'm going to focus on myself. How did you, how did you get to that point? There was no other option. Um, I, I couldn't run anymore. And mm. I ran so far, guys. I mean, I moved to Germany. I went to non-existent countries that are subsidized by Russia in the middle of Moldova. Like I ran as far as I could and I could not escape myself. Mm. I could not escape my own mind. And no matter how many times we, or whatever methods we do to try to remove ourselves from ourselves, whether that's alcohol or, you know, some adrenaline rush or just to feel just quelled for one moment. And I would just be chasing this. Yeah. And I couldn't do it anymore. I was exhausted. My relationship was a mess. My career wasn't where I wanted it to be. Um, and I was responsible for all of it. And I was like, I can't, you know, do this to the boy that I love anymore. I can't do this to myself anymore. And I was like, I just need to take this time and just face myself for the first time and stay in one place. And I went to a psychiatric clinic in Boston and I was there for three months. I was there with people that hadn't left their apartment for two years because they were afraid of whatever it was they were afraid of. And, you know, as long as we other, other, other people, like, yep. does that make sense? If we yep. other, other people. Yeah, I understand. I get it. You know, then um, it kind of just, it just perpetuates the problem and stigmatizes it further. And uh, when I owned that I was there and I was like, I am here and I belong here. It was so freeing, and I felt like I could finally accept the help that I've been needing for 20 years. And OCD, I've done some research, one in 40 adults deal with OCD. It's not that uncommon. It's actually fairly common. And I know that there can be certain things that trigger it more, like anxiety or stress. 
Yeah. What coping mechanisms did you learn from your time there that helped you to kind of navigate the world better with your OCD? A point quickly about the one in 40 people. Yep. I remember we spoke. Oh, yeah. Um, I had a pretty strong presence on Instagram before <laughs> I went in. I mean, I was always storying. Like, if I had breakfast, you would know about it. <laughs> and, um, you know, when all of a sudden I went completely cold turkey, I had, a, you know, my close friends called me. And they were like, hey, are you okay? And Brooke was one of them. Mm-hmm. For a long time, I said I was in a mindfulness program. And I remember one of my friends was like, oh, do you get long massages? I was like, you should see the room I'm in right now. You should literally see me, like, checking in with my card and, like, needing keys for bathrooms and, like, hand wash chips. Like, oh, my God, if you could see my life. Um, No, we did not get massages. It was such a far cry from that. And, um, you know, when Brooke asked me, I realized I had known her for, like, 23 years. And she was, like... One, she was one of the closest people in my life for a long time, and I hadn't even told her this. No, you hadn't. And, um, you know, when I told Brooke this, you know, everyone seems to open up with their own story. And every single one of my friends was either like, oh, my God, I had really bad, a really bad bout of OCD when I couldn't, you know, stop turning off the stove, but then I got over it. Or, you know, someone would be like, oh, my God, my friend went through the same thing. You know, she's currently, you know, finally in recovery. And every single person I told had a story. And I was like, how powerful is that? I can't tell you how much that made me feel less alone. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like one in 40, but it, it's, that's a, we sh- why don't we come together more? People like, don't talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I've talked about it on the show somewhat, but I haven't really opened up about it. But I also think that because of my physical size, people don't believe me when I say I have binge eating disorder. Like, <laughs> my husband can attest. I'm like, literally, don't bring those Oreos in the house. Leave them outside because I can't control myself. Like, I have totally. these moments, and it's like, it's like you black out, and you're suddenly eating all of the stuff that you don't want to eat. I definitely have sugar addiction. I am working very hard to kind of get off the sugar. But because people don't think about it or because people use these terms very flippantly, right? So they'll organize their desk and they'll be like, I have such bad OCD. Or they'll be really fidgety and they'll be like, I have such bad ADD. Or they'll eat so much and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I just binged. And it's like, no, these are actual clinical things. And then when you dismiss it by just kind of taking a casual moment and qualifying it as something bigger, it makes people that actually deal with these things feel really alienated. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, there, when someone, when I go into, you know, a friend's house and they have their closet perfectly like color coordinated, like I know I have such bad OCD. I'm like, I literally (laughs) could not leave my house because I had to touch my garbage like 17 times. Do not say that to me. You know, (laughs) we all have like small bouts of this, but yeah, I think the way that it's talked about honestly just has to be changed. I think even the idea of like, you know, a mental illness, if you subscribe to a term you become it. Mm. I thought I was broken because I had a learning disability and a mental disability. And I believed this about myself. And I showed up every day into the world believing I was broken. Mm. And it really took a gigantic toll on every part of my life. Yeah. And I refused to do this anymore. I was like, it is, it is doing me no service. It's not like I better identify because I have, I have clinically diagnosed XYZ. Why do you think it is that we are so willing to invest in hair care, skin care, fitness subscriptions, but not into our mental health? I, I just don't think that people feel safe. I didn't feel safe until this podcast. Yeah. And, um, 
I just don't think we create a space where people feel comfortable talking about that. Instead, they're relegated to, you know, taking long bubble baths in shame caves. And I just, <laughs> I just, we need, a, we need to foster a space where people feel safe. And if we don't do that, then nothing will ever change. Yep. And um, again, it's just the idea of feeling less alone um, that I hope, I hope, people, yeah, yeah I hope people come out and just own it. By a show of hands, if you feel comfortable disclosing, how many people have gone to therapy? Oh, wow. Look at you guys all doing the work. I am so impressed. I, so I've had this, like, uh, to-do list item all of 2019. Like, I'm going to go see a therapist. It's not something that I grew up seeing around me. Um, it's not, I guess it's something that I felt like there had to be something really seriously wrong to seek out therapy. Like, I think, mm -hmm. I thought that, I have this weird thing where I think, I don't know, my, my doctor's gonna be bored listening to my life because I'm gonna be like, I'm stressed because I'm not cooking at home as much as I want to and I have a podcast and a full-time job and they're gonna be like, people have real problems. But there's also been so much work that I've had to do to realize your problems are your problems. And I think, mom, it was you, I was saying, I feel, I'm so busy that I don't even have time to go to therapy and she was like, maybe you need to unpack why you are so busy. <laughs> why the little free time you have, you spend adding on extra things to do in your life. Um, so I'm, I'm actually gonna be starting my therapy journey. I have an appointment Wednesday at 6.30, so wish me luck, guys. <laughs> my first, first ever therapy session. Um, I'd love to open this up to questions in the audience. I don't know, oh, Asia has the mic, so, and Amelia has a mic as well. So anyone with questions, please feel free to ask Gillian anything. She's been a vulnerable open book, and I appreciate <laughs> you for that. And please stand up, introduce yourself to the audience. The beautiful bride, okay. Lila just got married. Round of applause for Lila. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm Delilah, I'm a good friend of Brooks. Um, Gillian, I was wondering, um, I feel like sometimes there, even out of concern for a friend, I might say the wrong things when trying to approach whether or not they're ready to open up about something. And maybe you can just share with us if there are things you wish your friends had said and things you wish they hadn't said as regards to your mental health and the best way to approach something so sensitive and personal? That's such a good question. And it's such a hard one, honestly, because it's not like, I mean, just to use Brooke as an example, I mean, we've really gone through everything right. together. And from like getting our periods to like just everything, you yeah, know, of like course. we first grew up boyfriends, together, first everything. boyfriends, like we really, and it's not that I didn't feel that I could talk to her about it. It's that I didn't feel I could talk to anyone about it. And when I felt ready to come to Brooke and tell mm -hmm. her what was going on, that was kind of, I mean, it was all on me. And it's like, if someone, and I was really nervous, I was like, you know, I thought OCD was just such like a a freak show thing to have, because that's what I had been taught. Um, I was honestly worried that my friends would be like, oh, wow, well, we don't want to really deal with that. So, <laughs> you know, like, because I'm always happy and I'm not depressed and all of these things, and I have to continue showing up as such. Mm -hmm. um, but when I told Brooke and she just, you know, was so, she just kept asking me questions yeah. like, and what's that like for you? Like, how did that, you know, oh my God, you know, actually thinking back, that tracked me, you know, and like just kind of like going through some of the things where, you know, she kind of related and then she told her own stories about, you know, the ways in which she could relate or other, other friends of hers could or, 
that it's really when the person opens up to you, it's, that's your way of dealing with it because you don't really know if someone is actually going through what, what, they're, what you think they're going through. Yeah. It's really when that person, you know, feels comfortable opening up, like that's your key to just make them feel like still loved and supported. And um, I've been so, so, so blessed that I have had the people and the girls in my life that have made me feel yeah, we safe. We love you, Gillian. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> Does anyone here know or like personally deal with things related to OCD or have like kind of ritual things? No. Or I've ever experienced it. Like sometimes it's just like, you know, you got to just feel that, that urge to go back and check something. And, you know, I'm not trying to like egg you guys on. Like, I'm like you know what I mean? You get it, right? No, I mean, you know, everyone obviously goes through their own version. But, um, you know, I've, I've, I've been surprised at the amount of people that could relate. So yeah. sometimes I'm kind of, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to mean like you have to check yourself into a clinic. But, you know, there's, there are varying degrees. And I think that that's what's important. It's like it's a human thing. And I feel like, um, you know, a lot of my friends that have come out and told me that they've had bouts of it, they've been like, but I have to get over that. Or, you know, but, but that's crazy. And that's the problem with OCD is it's above rationality. Like, I know that my parents won't die depending on the order in which I wash the dishes or how many times. But there's a difference between, like, that extra chance that you think that, that keeps you going. As, where it's like the rational part of you just is completely rendered null and void. But, yeah, I think the main thing with mental health is owning your story. Because if you do not own your story, it ends up owning you. Mm. And it's just got to come out of the shame cave. Yeah. A huge thing was exposure therapy. So they would literally sit with me. Let's, I mean, I got over it. They, it always changes, OCD. Um, but I had a really hard time choosing the first item in a grocery store. I'd need, like, the second or the third or the fourth. Um, so I Oh, like in the display shelf, yeah. you couldn't take the first one? Because it wasn't fresh or whatever oh. my head thought. Interesting. Yeah, okay. like the water was contaminated if it was the first one. I don't know. <laughs> um, but that's just how my mind works. So um, they would, a counselor would go to the, or a therapist would go to the grocery store with me, like, every morning and, like, They'd be like, okay, what are you going to choose? And I'm like, the first apple, the first water, you know? And it was really concentrated, and it was hard. And then they're like, and now what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to eat it unwashed, you know? And I'm just like, oh, my God. I mean, it, it didn't – it was not as smooth as I'm telling it. I mean, there were multiple breakdowns. You know, there were multiple times I felt the world was imploding. Um, but, yeah, it was exposure therapy and just doing everything that – you've conditioned yourself not to do. Amazing. Thank you so much, Gillian, for coming and sharing your story. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.